Happy Easter, folks. Good to be with you all. Let me add my welcome to Graham's. So good to have you here. Congratulations to those folks who got baptized. Uh, that's an epic moment. Uh, thank you, God, for this cross. Jesus, thank you for dying in our place on the cross. Thank you for rising again. We celebrate that on, the, on this Easter Sunday. I pray, God, risen Lord Jesus Christ, I pray you'd make yourself incredibly real. I pray our understanding of the resurrection would not just be a historical, academic, yeah, we believe that happened, but a real, current encounter with you just now. We invite you, God, by your Spirit, just to be among us as we take a bit of time to look at the Bible and the truth from your holy word. I pray you'd help me to speak, help us to hear, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there was a guy um, getting a taxi ride, and he wanted to ask the taxi driver a question. So he reached over, and he tapped the taxi driver on the shoulder. At that point, the taxi driver jumped out his skin, and it cascaded off the road right across the pavement, missed the lamppost, and screeched to a halt just before hitting a solid wall. <sighs> and he's sitting there like gripping the steering wheel. They sat there in silence for a moment, and then uh, the taxi driver turned to the passenger and said, you scared the living daylights out of me. And the passenger was saying, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't think, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to scare you. I really didn't mean to scare you. And the taxi driver said, listen, it's okay. It's okay, because this is the first time me ever driving a taxi. For the last 25 years, I've driven a hearse. <laughs> now, it's just a shocking thing. The idea that someone would rise from the dead. Imagine you'd been there. Imagine you'd seen that. Imagine you'd seen, it. You'd seen him die a few days before. Now he's alive. So question, if you were to, as succinctly as you can, sum up what is the message of Easter Sunday? As succinctly as you can, what would it be? He's alive. He's risen. That would, be your, that would be your summary. If you were to ask the disciples 2,000 years ago on that incredible Easter Sunday, and they'd seen what they'd seen and they experienced what they experienced, and you were to ask them, what's as succinct as you can is the, the message of Easter Sunday? They, they would say, like you've said, he's alive. He's alive. But here's my question today. What was in Jesus' mind that morning? What was it that, if you asked Jesus... What's the big message you've got, Jesus, that morning? What would it have been? Actually, I think there was one part which was, I'm alive. But there's a second part. There's another thing he wanted to say to them. There was something else he wanted to communicate to them. So we're going to read the verses, and you're going to look for that, what that other thing was that Jesus wanted the disciples to hear on that Easter Sunday. As lo- alongside, he's alive. So, Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the, mother, and, and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, uh, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat in it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, 
come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. What's it, what are they going to tell the disciples? Number one, he is risen. That's the message. He's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. <clears throat> Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said to them. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. So did you see it? There's a two, it's a double message of Easter. The angel says, tell his disciples, number one, he's risen. Number two, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And Jesus said it. He appeared. Greetings. He's alive. And then he said, now go tell my disciples, they've got to go to Galilee. So time passes. They tell the disciples and they go to Galilee. Let's continue in the verses. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've just done a few moments ago. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that's what we do every Sunday at church. We take time. We love listening to God's truth and growing in our faith, and it empowers us for life. And surely, Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That means he's here right now. We're in his very presence. So it's the double message of Easter. He's alive, and you've got to go to Galilee. So let's look at the first bit first. He's alive. I said, he's alive. That's good news. Now, what was it all about that whole weekend? Well, it started with the Friday, and we celebrated that on Friday. <clears throat> celebrated, I don't know if that's the word to use. We considered it. We reflected on it. Friday was a dark moment, yet Friday was a glorious moment. Apparently, at the end of World War I, you know, last year we celebrated, or we, didn't, we remembered the beginning of World War I, 100 years after the beginning of World War I. At the end of World War I, there were 900 Germans who had violated international law. And they were being summoned to appear before the world court to answer for their crimes. It was very clear that they were going to be condemned and sentenced to death. That was how it was going to go for these guys. But in an incredible moment of nobility, the crown prince of Germany stepped forward and volunteered himself to be their substitute. And what he meant by that is that the crimes that they'd committed, he wanted attributed to him. And the condemnation that they would experience for their crimes, he was willing to experience that penalty himself in their place. It was the most noble of acts at the end of World War I. But it didn't float because... Even though he was royalty, he personally did not have the value of 900 people. There was another prince 2,000 years ago who on Good Friday substituted himself for all humanity. 
This Prince, Jesus Christ, who is none other than the Son of God, God in the flesh, has incalculable value. And therefore, his substitutionary death for all people counted for all time. He experienced the penalty. He paid the price. He cleared the debt that we owe for our forgiveness, for our pardon. Heaven's crown prince died for us. That's what Good Friday was all about, a substitution. One died for you. I don't know if, if you're regular at church or if you come along every so often, or, but the thought that someone actually died for you is a pretty radical thought. That thought goes even more radical when you consider that that someone was none other than the creator of the universe. Now, that thought right now should motivate you and should inspire you to live for him every day of your life because that is incredible that the Lord would substitute himself for us. Now, you've heard of the crime of identity theft, okay, where someone steals your identity and typically amasses debt against your name or takes advantage of your identity. Well, what took place 2,000 years ago was reverse identity theft, where Jesus literally assumed your identity and he stepped into your personal business and he took your place, and he took control of your moral accounts. And see, a thief, when stealing your identity, would amass debts against your account. But in reverse, Jesus, assuming your identity, cleared the debt like a friend, and credited to your accounts forgiveness and eternal righteousness from God. That's what took place in that moment for all history. And you think, but he didn't know me. Yes, he did. Yes, he does. Even, I mean, you, you started existing at some point in the last hundred years. And yet God's known you since the, before the beginning of creation. He knows everything about you. 2,000 years ago, he knew you. And Jesus, when he died on that cross, you were the very reason he died. Paid the price for your sin. Rose again the third day. And that's the good news. It says in Colossians 2.14, he canceled the record of charges against us as he took them and nailed them to the cross. All your sin was placed on the man on the cross who one man for all people died, but that man wasn't just a man. He was fully man, but he was fully God. And therefore that act is an eternal act. And today it can cleanse you from all sin and give you eternal life and bring you back into relationship with him. That's good news. Now, if Friday happens, but Sunday didn't happen, then that has no power. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. You see, a cross without a resurrection means that all we've got is at best a hero or a martyr. But a cross with a resurrection means we've got a savior in our hands here. A cross without a resurrection means that that cross is ineffective when it comes to your forgiveness and acceptance before God. Ineffective. Means nothing to you 2,000 years later. But a cross 
with the resurrection means that that has power to cause you to have complete forgiveness and acquittal before God eternally. A cross with a, a resurrection means that Jesus Christ, if he didn't rise from the dead, he is com- he's a complete farce. It completely discredits who he was. Why? Because during his life, he claimed that he would die and he would rise. So if he didn't rise, then you can't trust the word he said. Even the other stuff he said, love your neighbor, all those things that have become such a foundation to what we consider society. You can't trust the word he said. It completely discredits him if he didn't rise from the dead. However, if indeed he rose from the dead, you can base your entire life on the words of Jesus, on those great teachings from that man who claimed he would die and rise again. He's true to his words. You can base your life on that. You see, if you have a cross without a resurrection, then evil, sin, death, the devil has won. But if you have a cross with a resurrection, then Satan, sin, and death, your arch enemies, have been conquered. And you can conquer them in him who is alive. It seems like a golf swing. I don't play golf. But apparently, when you take that golf swing, it's, it's not the moment you hit the ball is the important bit. Sure, hitting the ball well is important, but I'm told that the follow-through is what makes that a winning hit. And it's not just that he died on the cross. That would be meaningless and ineffective and a... And a and totally discredits him if he didn't rise again. But if he rose again, that's the follow-through. And in that follow-through, that becomes the winning hit that makes all the difference for your life 2,000 years later. And if I'm speaking to you 3,000 years later, it would still just be as effective because that is an eternal act from God to you with love from God. That's what he's done. Would you give him a round of applause for all that he has done? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for doing that for us. So he is a a living savior holding out his hands to a dying world. And he says, come to me and experience life through my death in your place. So he's alive. That's the the great part of this message. But it wasn't where he stopped. He said, he's alive. But he says, now go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. So why that? Why go to Galilee? It's interesting. If Jesus had risen from the dead, would you not think he would say to his disciples, Go meet me in the temple in Jerusalem. Right, that was the place, surely, where people would meet God. That was the place right through Jewish history where God had appeared to his people in the temple. That was God's designated meeting point. So why would Jesus now say, get them to meet me in Galilee and not in the temple, in that place where you would expect to meet God? So why Galilee? I've got three answers for that question today. First answer is this, that Galilee equals or represented relationship. You see, Galilee is where it all began. (laughs) Galilee is where Jesus grew up. Galilee is where he met with those disciples at the very early stages, three years before his crucifixion. That's where he met with some of them who were fishermen, and he said, leave your nets and follow me. And they did. That's where they took that radical step of faith and trusting in him way back three years ago. 
Galilee is where he met Matthew, who wrote the account we've just read. Matthew, who'd previously been a tax collector, a very corrupt man, who delighted in taking money from his own people. He was a traitor. And yet Jesus told him, come on, leave that, follow me. That's where it all began for Matthew. Matthew's Jesus saying, come back to where it all began. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3, it says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. This wasn't just a go to Galilee and then there was Jesus ascending back to the Father. There was a six weeks period in which Jesus spent time in fellowship, in relationship, in his resurrected state with his disciples. And he was looking forward to that time. This was time with God, time with Jesus in relationship. You see, what good is it to believe that he's alive, but you never go to meet with him? You never have any relationship with them. You never have an encounter with them. It's just purely academic. Oh yeah, he's alive. Tick. But your heart hasn't been touched and changed and isn't being touched and changed on an ongoing basis. You see, some, and I love you to bits, some come on Easter Sunday and you don't regularly come to church and it's, I love, I'm so glad you're here. But God wants to not just meet you on one day in the year. He would love to have an ongoing encounter with you. And sure, today's great. But the connection to continue is what he's longing for. You see, religion is all about knowing something about God. But we're not talking about religion here. We're talking about relationship. Where it's an ongoing encounter with this God. And that's what God wants for you. And surely that's what you would want for yourself. You see, Satan knows that Jesus is alive, but it hasn't changed him. Pontius Pilate knows that Jesus is alive, and he knew. He heard the reports from the guards, and yet it didn't change him. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was alive. In fact, they, they paid to they paid off the guards to keep the story quiet. And yet, it didn't change them. Knowing he's alive in and of itself is great. But what are you going to do with Jesus being alive? Are you going to go and meet with him? When's the last time you spent time with him? When's the last time you hung out with him? enjoyed his presence like you would enjoy the presence of a very close friend. What's the sense in saying he's alive if you don't listen to him and talk to him? God wants to make it real for you. Also, Galilee was about childlike faith. It was about going back to those first steps of faith. And you look at those first steps of faith, leaving their nets, leaving their entire livelihood, and it almost seems like a reckless moment. And following this Jesus who just reeked of credibility, but they took the step of faith. It was incredible. I mean, that's childlike faith. There's a childlike simplicity there. And maybe that's how you start out. Maybe at some point way back, you had this childlike beginning to a faith. But somewhere down the line, it got a little bit complicated, just like these disciples. This has been a complicated weekend for them. They've been spending three years following Jesus, and now they've seen him crucified. 
they've seen him humiliated in front of the world. They had all these hopes and aspirations that he's going to be the king, that he's going to bring transformation in the world. And in a moment, boom, he was crucified. He died. All of a sudden, their simplistic faith has got a bit more complicated. Maybe that's happened in your life. Maybe you started out with a simple childlike faith, and somewhere down the line, it got a little bit more complicated. Maybe you've even described it as, oh, I've become mature in my faith. Maybe that's how you've described it. But God's calling you back to a place of simplicity. Remember how you used to pray? Remember how you used to pray? You just loved being in His presence and praying. Remember how you used to read your Bible? You didn't need anyone to tell you to read your Bible. It was just alive to you. You just loved being in His presence. There was a church in the New Testament called the Church of Ephesus. And it was founded by the great apostle Paul. And you can, you can read about it in Acts chapter 19 when Paul went to Ephesus and this church started. And as you read in Acts chapter 19, you're reading of one exciting episode. I mean, it was just incredible. It was like a revival had broken out. Thousands of people were starting to believe in Jesus, having faith in God who'd previously never had faith. And they were flocking to know God and the church were just expanding from nothing to thousands. Miracles were happening. Incredible miracles were happening. People were being set free from all sorts of stuff that held them back. People were turning away en masse from witchcraft and occultic activities. It's all in Acts 19. Incredible. And then, furthermore, Paul had this, he had this love for this church that he'd, God had used him to birth. And years later, he wrote the book of uh, Ephesians. Um, and you can read that book of Ephesians. And it's just an incredible book full of great truths about God. You think, wow, a church to get a book like this must have had a dynamic, alive faith. And it did. It had a great beginning, had a strong faith, and yet 44 years after it began, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, speaking prophetically through the prophet, through John, spoke to the church at Revel- uh, in, in Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he said this, wow, you've persevered. You have endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary by this against you, that you've left your first love. Jesus is saying, guys at Ephesus, what a great church. You know, in so many ways, you're just, wow, you're just, you know the stuff. You've persevered. You've hung in there with the truth. But you've lost your first love. Somewhere down the line, that childlike simplicity, that adoration has just gone fuzzy. It got complicated, and you've missed it. It's like the older couple, and they were lying in bed that night, and the wife turned to the husband and said, you never kissed me like you used to. Feeling a little bit obligated, he went across and gave her a kiss. And then a few moments later, she said, you never hold my hand like you used to hold my hand. So she felt hands coming across under the duvet and holding on to hers. And she says, you don't nibble my neck like you used to nibble my neck. At this point, the husband jumped out of bed and off into the other room. And she thought, what have I done? She said, I'm so sorry. What did I say? I said, no, don't worry, honey. I'm just getting my teeth. <laughs> That's for you, Paul. <laughs> so come back to Galilee. Time to come back to that first love. Back to where it all started. Back to where you had simple, childlike faith. 
Sometimes the way forward is to go back and be as radical as you were then. He hasn't changed. He's always been great. He's always been that good. Now go back there. Some of you in your teens, you remember an encounter with God. You remember it vividly. You remember that time where you poured out your heart to God. You even remember him speaking to you, calling you. And somewhere down the line, you've put it on the shelf. And God's saying, come home. You want to celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Your eggs won't do it. Your Sunday roast won't do it. Your church attendance won't do it. Show him that he didn't die in vain. Give him your whole life. Come back to him. Yield your everything to him. It says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. In fact, you can help me read this. Ready? One, two, three. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. See, believing in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Wow, what a faith. You're believing in the historic resurrection of Jesus. But it's got to be more than just believing in a historic act. Today, there needs to be a confession that comes from your mouth that says, Jesus, risen Jesus, Would you be Lord of my life? It's gone from being an academic understanding of a historic event in the past to the point where you've gone on to Galilee. You've gone on to that place of encounter. You've gone on to reconnect with the God that you'd previously reconnected with years ago. And you're saying, today, be Lord of my life. Take first place. I come into relationship with you. So Galilee, I think, represented relationship. Secondly, I think Galilee represented a second chance. According to Mark's gospel, after the Last Supper, the day before his crucifixion, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said this. He made a prediction. Mark 14, 27. You, he said to his disciples, you will all fall away. And they did. You will all fall away, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. You will all fall away, but after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. In other words, for Jesus, him meeting them in Galilee was their opportunity for them to come back to him. They're all going to fall away, but you're all going to come back, and it's going to happen in Galilee. You see, Easter Sunday, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. What emotions would be going around your souls? You've seen him crucified. When he was crucified, you didn't speak up. Everyone cheered for his crucifixion, but you didn't stand up and say, no, you can't. You didn't do that. You ran. You were scared. You went all quiet. That's what happens. You're one of the disciples. You were one of the loyal ones. You swore allegiance to Jesus. Yeah, I'm one of his. And yet, when it really counted, you weren't there. So, the news has come to you that he's risen from the dead and he wants to meet you in Galilee. How are you feeling right now? Okay, you've got mixed emotions. On one side, you've got this thrill. He's alive. I'm so pleased he's alive. But then right in the middle of that, you've got this deep sadness. That man, when it most counted, I denied him. And he wants to meet me. (laughs) Oh, what's he going to say to me? I mean, I I don't know about you, but I kind of know what I would anticipate. 
you're expecting a bit of a reprimand here because of all moments when you needed to stand for Jesus, you rejected him. But what's interesting here is exactly how Jesus interacted with them. It says in Matthew eleven nineteen that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we know that. That's, that's Jesus' description. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you were one of the disciples. You knew he was a friend of sinners. And you loved that. You loved how he just hung around with the rejects of society. And you thought, wow, he's a friend of sinners. He can be my friend. But here's the thing. If you've been a sinner and you've become a friend of Jesus, but then somewhere down the line, you've gone back to being a sinner. And again, and again. So sure, he's a friend of sinners, but what about those who know better? What about those who were sinners, who became his friends, and then went back to being sinners again? Will he be their friends? All this is going through your minds. Jesus told a fantastic parable in his ministry. He talked about the relationship with us to God being like the relationship between us and a father and our dads. And he told the parable, famously known as the parable of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son had everything on a plate. He had everything with his father, but he made a choice to leave his father and try and make a life for himself away from his father. And it's exactly what human beings have been doing ever since. We know that life is with God, and yet we so often try and find life in other things. We make our own idols and worship our own things and pursue everything other than God. And in the parable of the prodigal son, the moment comes, and it happens with everyone, when you're away from God trying to find your life outside of God, all of a sudden you will end up feeding pigs. And that's what happened in the story. Happens to everyone who tries to find life away from God. You end up in a bad place. And in that bad place, the prodigal son thought to himself, what am I doing? I will go back. And it says in Luke 15, 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, do you know what? I've blown it. I don't expect you to accept me back unconditionally. But if you could just let me come back at kind of a lower level. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And this is God. This is exactly how God will interact with you as you choose to run back to him. He's just waiting for you to make that choice. You make one step towards God, he will take the other hundred steps needed for you to be in relationship with him. He's waiting, and that's the picture here. The father was eagerly waiting for the son to return. And when the son returned, instead of getting a slapping, he didn't even get a chance to do his speech, make me like one of your hires. He didn't get a chance to do his speech. Before he got a chance to say anything, the father embraced him. The father said, I love you, I accept you, and I welcome you back. That's God. So you might be away from God today. You can come back to God. And he will accept you like you'd never gone anywhere. Abraham Lincoln, as the civil war was coming to an end in America, that civil war that lasted years and it cost 600,000 men their lives. (coughs) Someone on his in his group, asked him, what will you do with the people in the South? Once we've won the war, the people in the South who were rebels, once we win the war, what will you do to them? He expected Abraham Lincoln to talk about vengeance. But here's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, I will treat them 
as if they've never been away. That's exactly how God treats you when you come back to him. It says in Psalm 103, verse 12, he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. You see, you have to understand that this cross, this blood that was shed on the cross, not only deals with past sins, but present sins and future sins. Now, that doesn't give you an excuse to sin. It should give you an excuse to live grateful, live with overwhelming gratitude and never ever even come near taking advantage of that grace that God is at a huge price made available to you. He was crucified so you wouldn't crucify yourself. He was hung up for our hang-ups. He died not to rub it in, but to rub it out. He died so you could experience total cleansing and complete forgiveness. I mean, how long after paying your electrical bill do you remember that bill? Oh, I remember that one in April... 2008, wow, that was a good one. April 2008, that stood out in my mind, that one. <laughs> you don't remember, you're weird if you remember that one. So I won't show, ask for a show of hands. Right, you don't remember, you, once you paid the bill, you don't remember that bill. So too with God's. Bill's been paid. I will remember their sins no more. Great news, eternally great news. And then there's Peter, one of the disciples who in a very strong way denied Jesus. In fact, let's go back again to the night of the, before the crucifixion. Peter said in Mark 15, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And for Peter... Go to Galilee, men. Come back to God. And when he was in Galilee, Jesus didn't sit him down and say, now, Peter, let's just talk about those three denials. What did you say again? I don't know him. And what were those profanities? He didn't go through the words. and everything. He, he didn't go through that. He didn't, did he? What did he do? He said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, so how many times did he deny Jesus? How many? Okay, I gave it away. Okay, three, three times. How many times did he declare his love for Jesus? Oh, let's give it away again. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you love me? You know that I love you. So instead of going over the track record of his failures, he gave him three opportunities to declare his allegiance and his love to Jesus Christ. And that's God. I love what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller said, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. Yeah, so you get the politicians who stand up and say, I love you all. You know, it's comforting, but it's superficial. You don't really know me. To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Someone gets too close to you and they really know you. So to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To, to be fully known and to be truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. God fully knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your failings, your weaknesses. 
And you know what? He loves you. And that is a demonstration of his love. And he calls you to come back to him. And he says, I will give you a second chance and a third chance and a 420th chance. He's not counting. He just calls you back today. Some of you this week, this week, have denied Jesus. You've blown him. You've denied him with your words and your actions. But today, Jesus says, come back to me. With all sincerity, come back to me. So Galilee represented relationships. Secondly, Galilee represented a second chance. And thirdly, Galilee represented purpose, commission. In Les Miserables, the, uh, that great uh, play that was made into a, a film, uh, there's a moment where the students are standing in the barricades. They're, they're about to give up their lives. They know it's suicide. They're going to give up their lives for their cause. And as they're standing in that barricade, they sing a song. And here's a, here's a, a few lines from the song. It says, Can it be you fear to die? Will the world remember you when you fall? Could it be that your death means nothing at all? Is your life just one more life? You're just a statistic. You're just a number. Or is there a bigger purpose? Some of you are living this life and you think, I'm just a number. I don't count. I'm insignificant. But that's not what God says. See, there are two important days in the life of an individual. The day you were born and the day, secondly, when you discover the purpose for which you were born. Jesus calls the disciples to him for the purpose of giving them purpose and a commission. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's God's specific calling to Jeremiah. <coughs> but the principles for all of us, before you were born, before you were even conceived, before anyone knew you, God knew you. That's amazing. And just like with Jeremiah, God had a purpose for you since the beginning. Now you think, well, look at my life. Look at all the stuff that's happened. Look at all that, man. Was that God's purpose? Thanks, God. I have to tell you, God didn't author that bad stuff. God wasn't, he, sure, that happens. But he didn't cause that to happen. He has a great plan for you. And today he invites you to come back to Galilee a place where you can encounter him, a place of second chances, and a place where you can experience a fresh purpose for your life. You see, there are many accidental births, but there is no accidental kids. God purposed you, even though your parents might not have planned you. He didn't let them in on it. I think you matter to God. I think you matter to history. I think you matter to this universe. You have a plan and purpose for God. God has a plan for you even before you were born. And he's uniquely gifted you and given you talents and abilities that line up with that purpose God has for you. <coughs> it says in Ephesians 2.10, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Galilee, Jesus called his disciples together. and We read it at the beginning, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus said, Go and make disciples. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying to his disciples, even though you left me, 
I will never leave you. And he's saying to his disciples, I'm not calling you to do something for me. I'm calling you to do something with me. That's very different. Jesus isn't calling you to live a religious life and doing stuff for God. He's calling you to do something with him. He's calling you to become a person who is used by God and with God to see great things happen in this life. As a church, Graham mentioned it earlier, we're on a journey, we've got our five-year plan, we call it 2020 vision, that in the next five years, help me church, we're going to see four new locations, two refurbished buildings, and one orphanage complete. Four new locations, just now we're meeting in Gorgie here and across town in Leith, they're having a Easter service there as well, one church in two locations. September we launched the third location, but God's calling us to launch another four, at least. Just, I think that will just be the first wave of many that will follow. Four new locations. That's our dream. Why? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. We're not spreading a brand. We are going and making disciples because of a cross and a resurrection that so motivates us. I think, wow, I want to see the world change. And we're in this generation going to do everything we can with the Lord and his power and for his glory to see Edinburgh transformed alongside the other churches who are doing also a fantastic job in the city. We have a part to play, and we believe with God, with all sincerity, that God is going to use us to see phenomenal things happen in the city, and we would love you to be part with us in that journey. Come with us in the journey. Let's change the city together with God, doing something through us. You know what? You used to have a sense of purpose. You used to have a sense of calling. Maybe you you even directly heard a calling from God, but you shelved it. And today God is saying, time to recommission you. So the double message of Easter is this. He is alive. He is alive means that that wasn't in vain. He is alive means that that has power today. And you can be forgiven and saved. And in a moment, I'll give you an opportunity to respond to that, to him who's alive. And the second message of Easter is this. Jesus said, go to Galilee. And go to Galilee was very clear. It meant, let's go back to where it all starts. And for some of you, it's time to go back to that childlike faith that for whatever reason, through all the complexities of life and all the confusions in your mind, you've lost it. God says, I haven't changed. Come back. For some of you, it means coming to know him for the first time, into that calling and that relationship. Come back to Galilee for some of you means he's the God of the second chance or the 20th chance. And today he's calling you to come back to him. Thirdly, coming back to Galilee means it's a place of purpose, a place of commissioning. He's calling you not just to exist, but to live for the very purpose you were born for in the first place. We as a church are doing that. We invite you to do that with us or part of a church that you're part of. But let's, whatever happens, let's live in the commission that Jesus has given for his people to do on planet Earth. Go make disciples. Let's pray. Take a moment in his presence just to pray back your own response to Jesus, to this double message. He's alive and go to Galilee. Take a moment, just in his presence, just to pray and respond to God.
Jesus, thank you so much that you're alive. Thank you that you're with us right now. You promised you would be. You're here. Thank you in your presence. All things are possible. You're the God who does miracles. You haven't changed. And I pray at the end of this service, God, as we give opportunity for people to be prayed for who are sick, I pray that you would turn up in your resurrection power and zap illnesses and heal bodies and set people free who have been captive and that your power would be manifest and God, just do great things, we pray. We we trust you're going to do that. But right now, I pray for the greatest miracle of all, that God, people who are maybe disconnected from God would reconnect with God. Lord, I pray for anyone today, Lord, who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. God, I ask that you would make it real for them and you'd help them to make that decision. I ask for those who have walked away from childlike simplicity. Now is your moment to come back. Ask for those, God, who needs second chances. I pray today they would grab hold of the second chance you're offering. So if today you're here and you're saying, Peter, today I want to trust in Jesus, the risen Savior, the one who died for me in that cross and rose again. I want to put my faith in him. Or today, if you're saying, do you know what, Peter? I did put my faith in him at some point at the past, but I've walked away from him. And today, on this Easter Sunday, I'm going to recommit myself to him. That's you in either of those categories. I want to help you connect with him. And very simply, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just under your breath, let this be your heartfelt cry to God. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your incredible love for me. Jesus, thank you. You died on that cross. You died as my substitute. You died in my place. You paid the price for all my sin. I believe that. And I believe in the third day, you rose again from the dead and you conquered Satan and sin and death. And today I trust in you to be my savior. I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you, Jesus. Today, I want you to take first place in my heart and in my life. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer. And thank you for accepting me today as your child. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I would love the privilege of praying for you. If you made that decision today, whether it's you coming back to the Lord because you've been away, or whether maybe it was the first time you've ever made that decision, I would love the privilege of praying for you. Just wherever you are, can you just identify yourself so I know who I'm praying for just by raising your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Put that up nice and clearly so I can see them. Thank you. Thank you. Is anyone else? It's a great decision. Thank you. 
to anyone else. That's your decision today. You're saying, I'm going, to be, I'm going to follow Jesus now. I'm coming back to him. Or I'm going to follow him for the first time. Just raise your hand, make it nice and clear. Is there anyone else? Thank you. It's brilliant. It's really good. Lord, you've seen these hands. God, so many hands. And thank you so much today that you've not only seen their hands, you've heard their prayer. As they today have committed themselves to you, thank you. You have completely accepted them. As they've asked for forgiveness and trusted on the cross, thank you in this moment. You have removed their sins and forgiven their past and their future. And you've cleansed them for all eternity. I pray God give them the strength now by the power of your spirit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.